Hello everybody, I am Joe the Widget, and I am doing something that has been requested by a lot of our listeners, and, um, and people personally in my life who have requested this. I am the author of a book called Emperor of Continia. A little bit of a background behind this novel is I had dreamed of this story in my head as a little teenage kid, I'd say probably about 12 or 13, and I'd spend hours in my room just drawing pictures of different creatures and and characters and ideas and environments that I had that were brewing. And when I went to college, I took a creative writing class. And in that class, well, like the class implied, you know, you, you learn how to creatively write, storytell, which fascinated me because I just, I did terrible in high school in English. I mean, that was the only grade that I got lower than an A. And it was an average of a C, so it wasn't my best subject. Yet in college, creative writing completely changed that. And I went all the way to my third semester of creative writing, the highest class they offered at the time. And our final project was to write the first three chapters of a novel. And we had to turn it in by the end of the semester. The professor said it had, he didn't care the genre, but it had to be fiction. He wanted it to be compelling. That was the number one criteria. He wanted to not want to put the three chapters down. He wanted to. He wanted more after he read those chapters. When I got my grade back at the end of that semester, I had scored a 118%. You ask yourself, like, how does that make any sense? Well, the professor took me to the side and said he only gives that to that grade to one student in the class. And he said that I was that student because he wants me to write this book. He wanted me to finish the book. He said it was the most compelling he had in quite a while. So I sat down out of college and started writing, coming up with ideas and putting them into a little cheat sheet and creating a, a story timeline. And I began writing this book and I wrote it chronologically from start to finish. Most authors, they don't do that. They'll write key points of the novel. Most of them will even write the ending first and then kind of write backwards from that. I always felt like the novel should flow organically. So I wanted the characters to develop themselves. I knew what their personalities were going to be like. I knew the environment and the world they were going to be living in. But I wanted the story to kind of organically grow as I, as I wrote it. So I wrote it from start to finish, starting with the lead character, John. So what I'm going to do for you guys is I'm going to read the first chapter of this book, and we'll see how it goes from there. I mean, if people enjoy it and they, they demand more, I might continue reading the book. But uh, this is a little experiment, if you will. Chapter 1 of Emperor of Contenia The path below my feet turned to mud. The sky was alight with lightning and the ground shook with every boom of thunder. I started to shake with cold as the wind began to howl. I slowed my pace even further. I clutched my arms around my midsection and tried to trap any warmth that I could and hold it into my body. My head bowed down to block the wind from my eyes as I trudged further down the path to a place I did not know, nor did I even care to know as long as I got there without freezing to death. I have had this dream many times before, and every time, it's the same place, the same scene, the same feeling. I awoke from that dream to the sudden sound of screams. The engines of the plane were set ablaze and gave off a horrifying glow in the night sky, which was covered in darkness and bursting with storm clouds. The first thing that came to mind was the lightning must have struck the main engine and we were going down. The stewardess, with a look of dread on her small, delicate face, began to give instructions on how to use a life jacket and seats for a water landing. I immediately pulled on my life jacket and held onto the bottom of the seat, ready to release it upon impact. 
I ducked my head down between my knees and was unable to hear the stewardess any longer. My own panic blocked any sound from my ears except that of my blood rushing as my heart practically beat itself out of my chest. Lightning struck the plane again, this time hitting the cockpit just in front of me. The cockpit exploded at the seams, leaving a gaping hole. The pressure from the opening sucked me right out into the night sky and I began to fall. I held onto the seat for dear life, wondering when I would land. With all the strength left in my frightened body, I tried to stop myself from blacking out, but I was not successful. I landed with a mighty splash into freezing water that sent a shock rippling through every inch of me. I awoke instantly and struggled to figure out which way was up. I was running out of breath fast. Everything was dark and cold. I needed air and I needed it now. I quickly realized I was still holding onto the floating seat and quit struggling enough to let the seat lift me to the surface. I took in a gasping breath of air as I broke the freezing surface of the water. Holding onto the makeshift raft for a moment before I tried to figure out where I was and how to get back to land. One thing that struck me as odd in that moment. I spat water from my mouth. The water was not salty, but it was fresh. I looked around and saw nothing but water and snow. <laughs> Wait a second. Snow? I wondered. It was storming and raining when the plane went down. Besides, we were flying along the equator when I fell asleep. How was it even snowing? I held out my hand and sure enough, large white flakes of snow fell onto my palm. That would explain the freezing water at least. Why am I not being affected by hypothermia, I wondered. I should have been near death. I had no answers. And I just let myself drift. I must have drifted for what felt like hours, still alive and freezing. The water began to ripple slightly a few feet from where I was floating. The snow came down in a blanket and made it impossible to see more than a few feet in front of me. Again, the water rippled. I watched the spot nervously, not knowing what to expect. The situation was already strange enough. I really didn't need any more surprises. What freaked me out and made me think I was dreaming was that the next time the ripples were accompanied by a huge snake-like body with spikes along its back that moved in a half loop back into the water. I sat completely still, not breathing. I had learned that the best defense against sea predators was to remain completely still and calm. I took a few breaths, then held it again, waiting to see if the ripples would come back. When they hadn't, I began to swim in the opposite direction. Finally, the snow let up a bit, and I could see a little further out. Lo and behold, in the distance was a faint yellow light. I swam towards the light with what little energy I had left, and hoped it was a boat that had anchored. My hopes began to soar as I was actually gaining on the light. I got closer and closer. When I felt I was getting right on top of it, I smacked my head against something cold and hard, knocking me back under the water. I swam up to the surface and put my hands above my head to prevent myself from hitting my head again. As I broke the surface, my hands pushed up against a wooden exterior. I heard the sound of surf and put two to two together. A dock. I'm under a boat dock, I thought with relief. I swam further and I felt my feet touch bottom and I walked the rest of the way onto the rocky beach. I collapsed down on the pebble beach and lay there for a few minutes, gaining strength into my weary body. As I tried to get back up, I passed out. I woke up in my bed to the sound of my duck alarm clock. I sat up. Wow, what a dream that was. I was relieved yet disappointed that it was not real. Then it dawned on me. I don't have a duck alarm clock. The clock continued to quack. Wake up, wake up, wake up, over and over again. I opened my eyes and felt the stones under my back. I looked up at the pale gray clouds that drifted overhead with snow still falling lightly. Ah, I see you wake up finally, stranger. I tilted my head back a little to see who, who said that. 
When I saw the face staring at me, I passed out again. My nose caught the scent of fresh fish as I awoke from the nightmare. I hoped it was a nightmare anyway. I laid there for a minute, trying to get a feel for what was going on before I opened my eyes. I wasn't sure I could take another surprise and actually live through it. All I could hear was the rustling of the wind against the window that must have been right above me and the sound of waves lapping against the shore. The air was fresh with a hint of fish in it. I opened my right eye just a notch to see if anyone was there. When I couldn't see anyone, I sat up and opened both eyes. I found myself sitting on a small bed made of a material I did not recognize in a small shack of some sort without a door in the doorway. Fish were strung in a row and hung above a small fireplace in the center of the shack. Not much else was there. The place felt a little empty and small. I lifted my lightweight 5 foot 9 inch frame off the bed to leave when a small figure with the same face I had seen before I passed out entered the room. He was a short, stocky sort that stood no higher than my waist. His face was covered in a full red beard that was uh, rather dirty. His two beady eyes fixed on me. His head was bald and his arms were covered in the same red hair. He stepped a little closer and I noticed he carried a fishing pole and about a half dozen fish on his line. You were out for a day or two, me reckoning. Don't know for sure. Been out on the lake for about half a day, said the little man as he strolled over to the fireplace and laid the fish on a nearby shelf. Oh, Aruda me. My name is Uber. Uh, what, where, when, how, and why was all I could think to say. Uh, well, that'd be a strange question, but, um, let me see here. He sat down on a wooden bench in front of the shelf and stroked his beard and thought. On to what question? Not sure what you mean by with that one. Unless you mean, uh, what am I? If that the question, I'm a gnarlin. But you should have known that already. Um, <laughs> a gnarlin? Not familiar with that race. And, oh yeah, um, my name is John, and I'm human? Never in my life had I thought I'd have to say that, but at that moment, it seemed to fit. He stared at me with a funny look for a second before he continued. Yeah, I know you be a human. You haven't heard of a gnarlin, eh? Not from around you, are you? Well, depends on where here is. I went down in a plane crash with many others. I didn't see any others but you. What manner creature is this, uh, plane? You're on the northern shore of Lake Narkish, just south of the village Narkish in Kentania. Where might you be from? I sat there for a second, racking my brain, trying to remember my geography. I was a video game designer, and geography had never been my strong subject. I had never heard of a country called Kentania. I'm so I answered him. I'm from America. And if you would be so kind as to point me in the right direction to where I can find a phone, I would be very, very thankful. Uber sat there and looked strangely at me, trying to figure out what the heck I was talking about. Never heard of America or a phone before. But Narkish is about half a day's walk north of here. Do you have a weapon of some kind, John? I don't see a sword or a dagger or bow on you. Well, I was on a, an airplane before I wound up in this uh, hut, I think. They don't allow any weapons of any kind aboard. Besides... What reason do I have to carry a weapon? Uber's left eyebrow rose as he considered me a little unbelieving at first. Well, if you say so, then I guess it's so. Um, uh, uh, you can have this. It ain't much, I'm afraid, but, uh, better than nothing. This lands are wild. He said as he unsheathed a small sword from a scabbard on his left hip and handed it to me. I held it in my hand and looked at it. It not be much done, done a long dagger to you, but it'll help. I thanked him for his help, and I walked out the small shack. I took a look around before heading off to Narkish. 
The snow still had not stopped, but at least it was a very light snowfall. The sky was covered in low, dense gray clouds. The shack was in a small clearing on the north shore of the lake. There was a small wooden dock with a little fishing boat tied to it just a few feet in front of me. I turned to the north and headed towards a clear path behind the shack that led off into a thick white forest. The ironic thing that occurred to me was that I wasn't cold at all. Yet I could see my breath in the chilled air. I walked for hours, gripping the dagger and constantly looking around in case a bear or a wolf happened to be hungry. Not once did the sky let up and it began to snow very hard. After a few minutes, I couldn't see more than a few feet in front of me. Everything seemed to blend into the whiteness. I figured I must be near the village by now, yet the storm seemed to be getting stronger as my tattered suit jacket began to flap wildly in the howling winds and blinding snow. I needed to find shelter and I needed to find it fast. All my life, my foster parents had taken me camping, showing me how to survive in the wild. For a day or two, anyways. At this moment, I was very glad for all those camping trips. I looked around, unable to see much of anything except the peak of a mountain not too far off in the west. Where there is a mountain, there is usually some kind of shelter, I thought to myself. Whether it was a cave or a large overhanging rock, either would do in that moment. For the first time since being in the lake, I was starting to feel a little cold out there, and I knew it was only going to get much worse. As I began walking towards the mountain, I heard something shuffle not too far ahead of me. Unfortunately, the snow came down so hard I couldn't see what it was, and I did not even care. I was cold. I couldn't see or walk very well in all the snow. Besides, whatever it was, it sounded pretty small. I ignored the sound and began to walk as fast as I could through the snow. I focused on one thing, finding shelter. After about half an hour, the snow still showed no sign of letting up. I finally came to the base of a small but very high mountain. Sure enough, a small cave opening was no more than a few feet to my right. I headed towards the cave and stopped dead in my tracks. I saw what looked like a flicker of firelight in the mouth of the cave, and small plumes of smoke drifted out. Again, I heard the shuffling sound, but this time I heard more than one. Still, it did not bother me. I needed that shelter. I figured whatever lit that fire must be some kind of intelligent being. I proceeded to enter the cave when I felt the tip of a blade poke into my throat. In reflex, my hand shot straight up into the air. Ah, put your hands down, human, and get your backside in here quick. A gruff voice said forcefully. He put his sword down, grabbed me by the shirt, and pulled me hard in the back of the shallow cave. You led them here. You stupid man. What on this earth were you thinking? I wasn't sure what to think at that moment. Um, what did I lead? I, I didn't see anything. I might have heard some small scuffling sounds here and there, but it could be that bad, right? Could it? The man I was talking to stood a good foot taller than me. He was a fully clad in blue plate male armor. He wore no helm, but instead had a full head of dark black hair that reached down to his shoulders in many braids. He looked to weigh twice what I did and carried a large broadsword that was rusted and stained with blood. His face was scarred around both eyes and on his left cheek. He had a rough black beard and looked like he had not shaved for many days. Stay back. We will talk when the threat is put to rest. He looked me up and down and asked, Know how to use that long dagger of yours? Um, yeah, a little. I studied Kempo Karate for years. Uh, what is Kempo Karate? Never heard of it. Whatever it is, <laughs> I hope it is good. Suddenly, a horrible little creature appeared in the mouth of the cave. It had six long hairy legs that extended from white spiky body. The creature's head looked too small for its body. It had four eyes that were small and gray. Two on its forehead, looking straight at us. Another set of eyes was sitting on the side of its head. The creature's mouth was as wide as its head and covered 
in what looked like multiple rows of tiny sharp teeth. What in the world is that creepy bug? I said in disgusted tone. Oh, that would be a rant. They hunt in large packs, usually around 10 to 40 of the little demons at once. Strike the head and you'll do just fine. I wasn't sure if I should believe him about this whole just fine thing or not. And regardless, I had no choice at the moment because the rest of the pack had just arrived. And about 25 of the ugly little monsters. They filled the entrance, hissing and snapping their little tooth-filled jaws as they crawled to the walls and the roof of the cave. Yippee, this is going to be a blast, I said in a dry and sarcastic tone. The knight looked at me and gave a smile. We may actually get along fine, you and me. I decided not to tell him I was being sarcastic. At that moment, the rants came charging at us. The warrior gave a cry and began hacking away at the little demons. One of them got past him on the roof and fell straight on top of me, snapping at my hair. I yelled and tried to remove it before it got smart and bit a softer area of my body that would actually hurt. I jumped straight up and smashed it between my head and the cave roof. Not too bright, I thought, after my head stopped spinning and pounding. A gooey mass of the creature oozed down my head as I felt a sharp pain in my left leg. I looked down to see another had sunk its row teeth into my pant leg. Without a thought, I swung the dagger down and cut the head clean off. The body lay there twitching, but the head remained locked into my leg. I looked up and saw another on my warrior friend's back, biting at the armor. I picked up a rock and hurled it at the creature, nailing it on its backside and knocking it off. I quickly ran up to it and cleaved its head. I looked around for more to kill when I noticed that none remained. My name is Rogart. What might yours be? The warrior said, looking down at me with a large grin. I looked at him, and he extended his arm towards me. The name is John, I said as I went to shake his hand. Instead, he grabbed my forearm and shook it. Strange name. What nation of human are you? I haven't seen a human so short before. I was pretty sure I fit in the average height category. I'm American, from the land of United States. Never heard of it. And uh, trust me, I've been all over this great land. Judging by your clothing, you're neither peasant, knight, nor warrior. Yeah, you're not a magic user, are you? Um, not that I know of. Why? I was beginning to believe I wasn't in Kansas anymore, Toto. Heck, I didn't even think I was on the planet Earth anymore. I'm Argostrat, of the race of magic users, the only ones that do things without lifting a finger. They have never done a day's work in their pitiful lives. Of course, you were way too tall to be one of them. On those words, he spat and glared at me. Too tall, huh? Never heard that one in my life. Where'd you get clothing like that? It looks rather useless and funny. Doesn't look like any armor or cloak I've ever seen before. Oh, this is my work suit. I got it at Mervyn's. Not rich or anything. He gave me a confused look and looked down at the head still attached to my leg. Ah, oh, great. You got one stuck on you. Well, we'll have to burn it off. Come here. He sat down next to the fire and pulled a flaming stick from it as I walked closer. As I sat down near him, he set the stick near the head. Instantly, the head lit up like a firework and began to crackle as it fell off my leg. Rogar kicked the still-burning head into the fire and sat back. Why are you out here? So far north. What is your mission? No mission. I fell on a leg back there a ways. Trust me, I have no desire to go back home. I just don't know what to do. Well, you can come with me if you like. I'm headed back to my home city of Worgen. It's a few days' walk southeast from here. 
He then pulled a cloth from his travel bag and began to wipe my bleeding leg. You'll need to be careful on our journey, though. Uh, this will heal fast. The cloth has enchanted speed up healing and stopped the flow of blood. I will present you to the king. After I train you up a little bit, maybe he will have employment for you. If you don't mind me asking, uh, why don't you want to return home? Oh, I would like that very much. Thank you, Rogart. Um, no, I don't mind if you ask. I mean, it's just that, well, even though I had a great job, I, I have always felt like it, there was something more to my life. My parents called me an overactive dreamer and that I would never live in the lands I, I dreamt up. They told me to get back to reality time and time again. And from the look of things, they may have been wrong. Rogart just looked at me about the same way Hubert did when I mentioned my life. Eh, they'll mention it. Now get some sleep. We'll leave at sunrise. That's the end of chapter one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> Let me know what you guys think and if I should continue this. Um, and thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time. If you're interested in buying the book, you can find it on Amazon. It is Emperor of Continia by Joe the Widget Wilson, part of the Draman Saga. It's book one. Book two is also out, and that is Guardian of Came. Thank you, everybody. This has been a raw podcast production.